0: to Nick's and uh, say it's great to see you whether you're in the building here or online. If you'd like to open your Bibles at that passage that Nick read, Matthew chapter 5, that would be great. Matthew chapter 5. Tinsel around the microphone as well. I won't blame whoever decorated the church, but Matthew chapter 5, if you have that open in front of you, that would be great. I was um, walking a week ago yesterday in Alverston uh, Park, Alverston Castle Park, and with my wife, and um, while we were, we were doing that, uh, through one of the gates, suddenly there appeared a group of, of walkers. Um, a big group of walkers, probably, you know, maybe a hundred people. And from a distance, I just said to, to my wife, oh, look, there's a, there's a group of ramblers. It must be the local rambling club or something like that. But as they got closer, there was something significant, distinctive about them. They were all dog walkers. So I said again to my wife, oh, you know, interesting, they're all dog walkers. It must be the local dog walking club. Everyone's got a dog. And then we spotted that everyone, as they got closer, had a beagle dog. So this was the local local Beagle Dog Walking Club in Elberston Country Park on that Saturday morning. Every single person had the same dog. And if you think it's difficult to tell people apart sometimes, you try telling Beagle dogs apart, it's even worse. But everyone had the same dog. Just before the, the passage we read this morning, we had the Beatitudes, the people who are approved of by God for the way they are behaving the characteristics of blessedness and they are true of all those who are in the kingdom of heaven just as everyone in the dog walking group had a beagle everyone who's a follower of Jesus manifests these characteristics every single one if you're a follower of Jesus Christ if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ These things mark you out. They define you. They are who you are. Is that you this morning as people observe your life, as people look at your life? Is that what they see? Poor in spirit, mourn, meek, hungry and thirsting after righteousness, merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers, and so on. But the interesting thing is is that the, the Beagle Walkers... Beagle dog walkers had no impact on me at all. They went past, and, and that was it. It was just over. It was just a. I mean, I felt it was a bit quirky, you know. But and apologies to you if you've got a beagle dog. If you're a beagle dog owner, it, the only impact it did actually have was made me think this could be a good sermon illustration at some point. But <laughs> but the dog walkers had no impact on me. But I want to ask the question this morning: these characteristics that Jesus says we all possess, we should all demonstrate in the kingdom of God, what impact do they have on society, on the people around us? What role do they play? What influence? What effect? You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And just notice two things about that. Not... You should be, or you could be, or you ought to be, but by definition, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world because you're a follower of Jesus Christ. And notice that Jesus says, the light of the, the, the salt of the earth and the light of the world. He's already saying that his kingdom is going to be worldwide. It's not just there in Palestine, in Israel, back in the first century, but all over the world and all today. You, we, are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. So what do these things actually mean? You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the salt of the earth. Many years ago, my parents, who are no longer alive, had some very, very close friends, Don and Vi Pritchard. And Don and Vi were the salt of the earth. That's what my mum used to say. Particularly Don, he's the salt of the earth. And as I think about that, I think what she meant was he was, well, he was a good man, basically. And if you look up the phrase salt of the earth in dictionaries, you find phrases like honest, uh, worthy, reliable, moral, good, courteous, and so on and so on. But as Jesus said those words, just imagine you were listening to Jesus in that first century crowd. When he used the phrase salt of the earth, they would have known what he meant. It would have meant something to them. And the key thing it would have meant for them in those days was that salt was used as a preservative. Israel had a hot climate, there was no refrigeration. And therefore, salt was needed to preserve the meat. Or the food which was being kept to stop it decaying, to stop the spread of disease, to stop it becoming putrid or rancid. It was a preservative. You are the salt of the earth. Now, the world we live in stinks, it's rancid, it's broken. it's decaying. Paul says in Romans chapter 8 that the world we live in is in bondage, is in slavery to corruption, to decay. That's the world we live in. And you don't need me to tell you that, do you? Really, this morning. I mean, physically, we can see a broken world, whether it's the climate or the volcano that erupted in Indonesia this week, or whether it's the COVID pandemic, or just death that's all around us. We live in a world that is physically decaying, We live in a world that is morally decaying with injustice and poverty and abuse and the young lad Arthur that we thought about earlier in our prayers and political corruption and lies and cheating and deceit and so on. A world that is physically decaying but is morally decaying and spiritually we're surrounded by ignorance and superstition. And in that world Jesus says to us, you are the salt of the earth. The Christian, we are in the world to slow the decline, to preserve, in some sense, society, to stop it getting worse and worse and worse, to alleviate pain and suffering, to stop the decay, to reverse the trends, to change the direction, to improve the lot of men and women. That's what we're here for. You are the salt of the earth. And for all of us, it's often an individual task it may be that you're the one person in the place where you work who is a follower of Jesus Christ and just by the fact that you're there you add a touch of preservative salt to the culture of the office. Maybe language changes because you're there. Maybe practices change because that you're there. Maybe just because you care for other people people become more caring. Maybe it's the school. Maybe it's the one who the family that you're in. You're the one person who's a believer in the family. and That can be quite a difficult thing to do, but you have a, an alleviating effect in terms of the, the decay and the moral bankruptcy that's around. You shed goodness around you. You are the salt of the earth. It may be that you're going to be part of a, a working in an organization that works to alleviate some of these problems this, with a specific role like Derby City Mission or Safe Families for Children or upbeat communities or tier fund. And for some, you might be working on a national scale to bring about real change in the world of politics. So often on a national scale, it's been Christians who've changed the nature of society. I was struck in looking at this passage this week by um, someone who said, it said with some justification that the only thing that saved England from a revolution as horrible and bloody as the French Revolution was the evangelical revival under the preaching and teaching of men like John Wesley and George Whitfield during the 18th century. We could have had bloodshed and a revolution as bad as the French Revolution if it wasn't for Christians being salt in their community. And that revival under Wesley Whitfield produced men like Shaftesbury working with the poor and the, the children going down the going up chimneys and so on. And, and William Wilberforce working to abolish slavery, and so on. Men who had a profound effect on British society, who changed the course of the world in which we live. And just this week I was reading uh, some words from Arlene Foster. You know, she used to be the leader of the DUP in Northern Ireland, and I'm not talking about her politics, but she said this, Christianity doesn't call you to be neutral. It calls you to be salt and light about what you believe in. I get amazed by people who say we must take religion out of politics like it only happens at the weekend it's part of who you are it's your life you are the salt of the earth and some of the rhetoric that's thrown around in our society is that is that religion is just bad for the world it's just bad for society particularly christianity it's you know it's the fruit of or the the um, cause of all wars now most of the people who say that have done no research at all. Have not really looked at society. Have not really looked at history. But I was struck some time ago by um, an article about Rodney, from Rodney Stark. Uh, I haven't read any of his books, but he's a sociologist of religion, and uh, he, he has done some, a, a lot of serious research uh, about how the, um, the beneficial social effects of religion and particularly Christianity, and he demonstrates that. Christians, just listen to this, are the primary source of secular charitable funds that benefit victims of misfortune, whatever their beliefs. It's religion, especially Christians, who dominate the ranks of blood donors and other pro social behaviors. It's religious people, but particularly Christians, who are far more likely to to donate their money and time to socially beneficial programs and to be active in civic affairs. It's religious people, but particularly Christians, who are more apt to marry, less likely to divorce and report high degrees of satisfaction with their spouses. It's Christian husbands who are far less likely to abuse their wives or children. It's Christian fathers who are more likely to be involved in youth-related activities, such as coaching sports teams or leading scout troops, etc. In 247 studies done between 1944 and 2010, Religion, but particularly Christianity, has a positive effect on society in regard to crime, deviance, and delinquency. And at the end of this uh, quote from Rodney Stark, he, he mentions a man called Nicholas Christoph. I hadn't um, heard of this guy before, but this is what he says about this man. Um, Nicholas Christoph was a columnist for the New York Times. He wrote an article years ago wherein he explored the work of an unknown evangelical Christian doctor who ran a hospital in Angola where the child mortality rate was the highest in the world. This evangelical Christian doctor raised his family in one of the most dangerous places in the world. Christoph writes, most evangelicals are not, of course, following such a harrowing path. And it's also true that there are plenty of secular doctors doing heroic work. But I must say, that a disproportionate share of the aid workers I've met in the wildest places over the years, long after anyone sensible has evacuated, have been evangelicals, nuns, or priests. You are the salt of the earth. And the danger, Jesus says, is that you lose your saltiness. If the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty Again, it's no longer good for anything except to be trodden down and trampled underfoot. What does he mean by losing our saltiness? Now, I'm not a scientist, but I understand that sodium chloride, which is salt, is a is very, very stable compound. The problem in the Middle East was there was not the danger of the instability of the compound itself, but being mixed with impurities, becoming Uh, ineffective becoming uh, infected and ineffective and so it could only be thrown out and trampled underfoot couldn't be used and it's a real danger in the UK with our increasingly secular society that if we're not acting as salt in this world the church will increasingly be rejected over and over again we must stand out you are the salt of the earth what are we doing Are you the salt of the earth? And then the second thing that Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Now this seems a bit strange because Jesus is the person who says in John's gospel, I am the light of the world. But he goes on to say, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And now here he says, you are the light of the world. Wow. You. You follower of Jesus Christ, you disciple of Jesus, you are the light of the world. And God is always in the business of separating darkness and light. From Genesis chapter 1 to Revelation 22, he separates darkness and light because God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. And the New Testament describes the Christian in this way, once you were darkness but now you are light in the Lord. That's very interesting, isn't it? Not once you were in the darkness, but once, before you became a Christian, you were darkness. That was the effect you had on on the world. You were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And so we're told to have nothing to do with the unfruitful deeds of darkness, rather expose them. And the role of light is to expose the darkness and to judge the darkness and to bring truth and point the way for people to see. To show the darkness for what it is. It's to warn of danger, it's to promote the truth. And the question is again, are we doing that with our lives? And just as with salt, which can lose its saltiness, so that there's a danger here, isn't it? That we hide it, that it can't be seen. But it must be seen, because this is the judgment. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness rather than light, and we are the ones to expose it. You see, when you think about Arthur Hughes, everybody's done what they normally do, didn't they? They've, They've jumped on the bandwagon. We've got to look at social services. We've got to look at funding. We've got to look at care. We've got to look at the police. We've got to look at neighbors. We've got to look at families. You know, the whole social gamut. Now, those things are true. But at the end of the day, the reason someone like Arthur Hughes got killed was because of sin in the world, and sin in our families, and darkness. And we need to expose it. But nobody's saying that. We must never let this happen again. Victoria Klimby, it happened again. Baby P, it happened again. It will happen again. Don't pretend. We can do what we want to try and alleviate it. We can be salt in that way, but we've got to expose. You are the light of the world. So we must be seen. Jesus talks about this city, this town on the hill, and it's very difficult for us, you know, when we see these maps of the UK and it's light all around London and light all around Birmingham, and light all around Manchester, and you know, and you. But in the Middle East, if you were in darkness, you wouldn't be able to see your finger in front of your of your face until suddenly a city appeared, a town appeared in front of you, and there'd be brilliant light. Well, that's what we're supposed to be. So don't hide your light under a bowl, and that's got nothing to do, I don't think, with using our gifts, you know. Somebody comes and plays the piano whenever nobody else is in the building, and I look at them and say, oh, you can play the piano. You've been hiding your lights under a bushel or under a bowl. That's not what it's about. It's about people not shining for Jesus. I, mean, I love the song, don't get me wrong, I loved you, not so much now, but I probably still do now, but I'm getting a bit old, but you know, Shine, Jesus, shine. But that isn't what Jesus is saying. He's saying shine, Christian, shine, fill this land with the Father's glory. Talk about Jesus, live for Jesus. Why? Because in the same way as light shines, if we let our light shine before others, they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. In the same way as light exposes and, and reveals the truth So we're to be the ones who reveal Jesus to others as we let our light shine. They may see your good works. Now, it's very interesting in the Sermon on the Mount. If You just turn over one page to chapter 6. We're being warned in verse 1 to be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. So in that verse he's saying don't practice your deeds of righteous but he's talking about the motive it's not to be seen by others it's not so you can be patted on the back and say what a great Christian you are what a great person you are no let your light shine with a motivation that others may see the light and be drawn to Jesus and it can be such a simple thing I remember 30 odd years ago I was introduced to a mechanic in Derby when I first came to Derby and he he wrote out my bill and totted it all up, and I paid him. And when I got home, I was just being a boring mathematician that I am sometimes. I just checked his addition, and he got it wrong. He'd done himself out of thirty quid. Well, what'd you do? I so phoned him up and told him, and he said, "What'd you do in in life, Tim? I mean, why did he link that with what I don't know?" But anyway, he's been my mechanic ever since, and he's had the gospel so many times. And this contacting people with these activities coming up. We're supposed to be letting our light shine before them. They might come and hear the good news. We've got a story to tell and a life to live. You are. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Wherever you are, whenever you're doing anything, whoever you're with, whatever you're doing, You are. Not ought to be, should be, could be, might be. But Jesus wants us, relying on us to be that, the light of the world and the salt of the earth. I don't know exactly what you'll do after this morning. People often say the good thing about a a talk is you've got to give people something to do at the end, you know, so they can go away and think, what am I going to do? But I just thought about one thing for myself, about having a little notice by the door. So that when I go out every day, morning, afternoon, evening, or when I welcome people into the house, perhaps a tradesman or deliveryman, it says on this thing, Tim, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And on Friday morning, it was quite interesting. I went to the hospital for an appointment, regular appointment, and I just thought, I'm going to go in knowing that I'm the salt of the earth. I'm going to go in as the light of the world. And it changed the way I felt about the whole business of visiting the hospital and talking to people and so on nothing happened. Really disappointing. Nothing different, nothing changed. But I felt different about it and I went with a purpose and a mission. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. What will you do after this morning when you've heard God speak? Let's pray together. Jesus, we hear you on that hill, that mountain, speaking these words to us, to me. Father, it's a high calling, it's a brilliant calling, but it's great to belong to you. And we ache over the state of this world so often. Help all of us to ponder before you what it means to be salt and light in this world to live for your praise and your glory. Amen. Remain quiet just for a minute while the musicians come up. Let's keep our heads bowed and perhaps just meditate on what Jesus has been saying to us. we're going to stand and sing that great song tell out my soul the greatness of the lord unnumbered blessings give my spirit voice tender to me the promise of his word in god my savior shall my heart rejoice let's rejoice before him this morning but not leave our christianity here for the weekend for sunday but then take it with us and tell out wherever we are the glory of the lord let's stand as the music begins